In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God remain. Our tonight Bible study from Psalm 28. Psalm 28. Uh, this psalm is titled A Psalm of David, which means the author is David the prophet. In this psalm, we will see David crying out to God and also praising him for hearing and answering his prayer. Also, in this psalm, we will see the heart in few different aspects. The evil heart, the trusting heart, and also the rejoicing heart. And also, as in many previous psalms, neither the title of this psalm nor the content of the psalm contain any indication as to the time or the circumstances of its composition. Uh, but many commentators said it was written by David during his flight from his son, Absalom. Uh, also, in this psalm, there is a reference to the character of deceitful conspirators. Those who actually speak peace to you, but behind your back, they actually make a conspiracy to destroy you. And their adamant refusal to recognize the hand of God in David's elevation to the throne of the kingdom, like Epsilon, he was speaking peace to his father, David, but making a conspiracy behind his back to take the kingdom from him. Also, if you compare between the Psalm and Psalm 26, you will find many resemblance, especially when David spoke that he doesn't want his fate to be with the wicked. And there is also a strong affection of David for those who revered God and loved God. And he has a strong desire to be associated with them in character and destiny, not with the wicked. And also, at the end of the psalm, he is praying that he might not be drawn away from the saints, from the righteous, and his faith might not be with the wicked. This psalm is appropriate to those who are in danger of being led away by the acts of ungodly. So, if you are surrounded by ungodly, either in work or in the area, and you are concerned lest to be led away by their actions or temptations, this is a good psalm 
to pray. And according St. Augustine in his commentary on the book of Psalms, each single psalm he linked it with the Lord Jesus Christ. So according to St. Augustine, this psalm expressed the events of Christ's passions. He said, it is the voice of the mediator himself, strong of hand in the conflict of the passion. Now what he, Jesus, seems to wish for against his enemies is not the wish of malevolence. You know, in this psalm, he will say, destroy them, do this for them. So St. Augustine, he said, he, this not a prayer of vengeance, but the declaration of their punishment, as we will explain. As when the Lord spoke about Capernaum and the cities that rejected him, as in the gospel with the cities, in which though he had performed many miracles, yet they had not believed on him, he does not wish in any evil well what he says, but he protects what is impending over them. When he said, in that day, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah will be in a better condition than Capernaum, he is not actually saying this uh, as revenge from them, but he is predicting what will happen to them. This is a short psalm. It's only nine verses. So, verse 1 and 2, prayer of petition, 3 to 5, asking to be spared from the fate of the wicked, Uh, 6 and 7, thanksgiving and praise, 8 and 9, intercession and love. This psalm is not in the Agbaya, so I will read it all and then we'll take it verse by verse, because many of us are not acquainted with the psalm because it's not in the Agbaya. To you I will cry, O Lord, my my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what what they deserve. Why? Because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, 
and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. So verse 1. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me. Lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. To you I will cry. This denotes actually the distress the psalmist was in. He was eager and passionate in prayer, determining to cry to the Lord only, because only the Lord can save him. And he called to the Lord here, O Lord, my rock, implying his belief of God's power and his dependence upon that power, the power of God. In faith, he gave God the title he longed for him to fulfill, the rock, to be David's rock in the present season of difficulty. If God is not his rock and does not appear for him, his help and his hope will be perished. So David felt the danger was very near. And if God did not intervene, he would not live long. That's why he told him, if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Definitely nothing can be so distressing to a gracious soul as the need and desire of God's favor and the sense of his displeasure. When we need God, but we feel that he is displeased with us or he is hiding, this will be very distressful. If you do not hear me, David saying, if you do not hear me, I will be like the dead. As the dead can do nothing whatsoever, so man without God's assistance can do nothing. The Lord in the Gospel of John, he said, you can do nothing without me. And according to St. Augustine, the words of the psalmist are the words said by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. When the non-believers thought that he was forsaken by God and that he was going down into the pit forever, he said he was crying to Elijah, let us see if Elijah will come and help him. Verse 2. Hear the voice of my supplications. When I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. If you compare between verse 1 and 2, they are saying the same thing. But in verse 1, he said to God, don't be silent. If you are silent, I become like those who go down to the pit. Then here he is saying, hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. So in verse 2, David used 
poetic techniques of repetition and parallelism to say essentially the same thing but in two ways his prayer was a cry to God and his body also was set in the traditional posture of prayer when he said I lift my hand up that's how actually we should pray and St. Paul in his letter to Timothy he said to him I want people to pray lifting up their hands and the use of the words voice and cry mark his sincerity and seriousness of the prayers he offered hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you some commentators think that as the Hebrew translation implies when he did pray he had his hands stretched out and in using this expression the prophet in a prophetic way had before him the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ extended on the cross and raised to heaven at that time the holy sanctuary was not built because it was built by King Solomon so when he said that he left up his hand toward the holy temple of God although it was not built but the holy sanctuary he meant the tabernacle of meeting especially the ark of the testimony the ark of the covenant and the cover of the ark is called the seat of mercy being the throne of God and on the top of the cover there are two cherubs and from where he used God he used to address the people as we read in Exodus 25-22 and there on the mercy seat I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony verse 3 do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors but evil is in their hearts I told you there are three aspects of heart here or three different types of heart here is the evil heart these people, the wicked the worker of iniquity speak peace to their neighbors but evil is in their heart so David condemns the destiny of wicked people I told you this is very similar to Psalm 26 Psalm 26 verse 9 also he condemned the destiny of wicked people so the psalmist pray that he may not share the fate of the workers of iniquity over whom he sees to see some terrible judgment coming so David is saying to God don't let me suffer and be drawn away by the wicked men he asking God to deliver him from the temptation by the ungodly men around him also he may meant that God 
will not deliver him into their hands like Epsilon his son to be at their mercy for God knew that they will not spare him if they had him in their power also he is praying that he might not die the death of the wicked and perish with him with them in the lake of fire he is asking God to save him from being entangled in the traps they have laid for him you know how Ahithophel supported Epsilon in order to take the kingdom from David they are hypocrites double minded men who have the form of godliness but deny the power of it they pretended to be godly they pretended to be the friends of David but they were not they spoke peace to the face but they aim to destroy and to disturb David as Saul and his servants did to David and also as Absalom did to him so he is asking God to save him from being infected with their sins and from doing as they do verse 4 give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors give them according to the work of their hands render to them what they deserve verses 3 and verse 4 some apply this verse to Christ because Christ was numbered with transgressors as we read in Isaiah 53:12 carried the sins of the whole world and for our sake he went down to Hades yet his portion was not together with the wicked because Jesus was the only person in whom sin could find no place the Lord never done evil nor had iniquity in his mouth as we read in 1 Peter 2.22 verse 4 as I explained before is not a resentful desire for personal revenge when he said give them according to their deed give them what they deserve also it is not inconsistent with the duty of prayer for our enemies but verse 4 and 5 are prophecy that God sooner or later render to all unrepentant sinners according to their deeds as we say in the divine liturgy he he appointed a day for recompense in which he will appear to judge the world in righteousness and give to each one according to his deeds and we add in sincere liturgy according to their deeds whether good or evil so the wicked will have a dreadful end as a result of their deeds so it is an earnest prayer that God will openly convict false and wicked men 
by manifesting his righteous judgment upon them and punishing them as they deserve. It is fit, it is right, it is meet that they should suffer as they have acted and reap the fruit of their many wickedness. And from verse 5, it will be so clear to us that verse 4 was a prophecy and not a desire for personal revenge because in verse 5, as we're going to read it now, he does not say destroy them, but he shall destroy them in the future tense. So verse 4 gives them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors, give them according to the work of their hands, render to them what they deserve, verse 5, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands, he shall, he shall destroy them and not build them up. So that is a prophecy, declaration of what will happen to them. So, here in verse 5, the root of all evil is declared. What was the root of all evil? The refusal to understand the works of the Lord. They don't regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. They do not note God's providential working. If they did, they would see that judgment falls upon the wicked. And seeing this, they would fear and abstain from evil. But they took, take no notice. God is not in all their thoughts. For anyone who reflects on the wonderful things God was pleased to do in the creation, in redemption, in government of human race, could not fail to be wonderfully kindled with the love of God. And unfortunately nowadays, many people, they don't consider God in their life. Even some of the people who come to the church regularly, they come to the church, and these few hours they spend in the church, that is, they focus on God. But once they leave the church, you cannot distinguish them from the children of the world. They live a secular life. They live like the atheist. They don't actually have the fear of God in their hearts at all. They don't notice the existence of God or the work of God in the world. That's why St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, he said, For had they known God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they did not notice. They did not notice the work of God in the world around them. Like atheists, they deny that God governs the world. And they refuse to discern his working in creation, in providence, in judgment. And they have many theories. But the only truth about creation, they deny it. They accept false theories, but they deny the truth of creation. Yes, unbelief lies at the root of all their sin. Uh, 
You know when the Lord spoke about the Holy Spirit, He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Sin because they did not believe in me. That is the root of all sins. They did not believe in me. He told them, He shall destroy them and not build them up. Not build them up. They shall be eternally lost and shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Non-believers would reap the fruit of their malice, their evil and spiritual blindness. Being deceived by their own deception, they will perish. Verse 6 Blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. David actually did not get an answer or revelation from God. But that's usually how he starts to compose his prayers. He starts praying, crying to God to have mercy upon him. Then toward the end of the psalm, he has peace in his heart that God heard his prayer and answered his prayer. So usually he concludes the psalm with a song of praise. In the beginning, in his trouble, David cried out to God, verse 1 and 2. Now in verse 6 and 7, he praises the God who heard and answered his prayer, becoming his shield and his strength. You can see here how suddenly the tone of the psalm changed and the prayer become a song of praise. Why? Because David had confident assurance arising out from the very act of prayer because he prayed sincerely. He knew for sure that his prayer is heard and granted so that the happy results prayed for are certain to follow. What he prayed for, now he is certain that this will happen. We can see through faith the psalmist will live his life as though God has already intervened and has already delivered him from the hands of his enemies. As if David is already helped. He feels himself delivered out of his danger. God is my shield. As we read in verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. I'm already helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. I told you, evil heart, and we saw it in verse 3. Now in verse 7, we have the trusting heart. My heart trusts in him, and the rejoicing heart. My heart greatly rejoices. And there is a connection between trusting and joyful. When you trust God with your heart, your heart will rejoice. The Lord is my shield. My shield, he is my protector and my defender. He is ready to offer thanksgiving for a mercy not yet received. Isaac of Syria says, 
the soul that loves God has its rest in God and in God alone. In all the path that men walk in, in the world, they do not attain peace until they draw, draw nigh to hope in God. So once I become close to trust God and have confidence in Him, I will have peace and I will have joy. And the word heart in verse 7 was repeated twice to indicate and reflect the truth of David's faith and his joy. Verse 8 The Lord is their strength and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. This is the blessing given to the heart that trusts God. God becomes very strength. When you trust God with your heart, you will have rejoicing heart and God will be your strength. And I want you to notice, God does not merely give strength, but He Himself becomes very strength. And who is His anointed? Here, David, because David was anointed as a king. So, when he said, the Lord is their strength, the strength of the people who trust in him, and the Lord is the saving refuge of his anointed, referring to himself. So, the welfare of David and the welfare of the people are one. Can you see here how he connected himself with his people? And they are attached to each other. God strengthened David for the sake of his people. How come? That David might guide them fittingly and fight their battles and give them dominion over their enemies. So if God strengthens David, he's strengthening his people, Israel. And when God strengthens Israel, he's strengthening David. David was chosen out of all Israel and was taken from the sheepfold and God had David his anointed king as we read in Psalm 78 verse 71 shepherd to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So the Lord is very strength they're referring to, to whom? Not only to Israel in the Old Testament, but also to the people of God, all the believers in the New Testament. So the Psalms have obtained assistance from God, or having found God a strength to him, his mind turned from the fact that God is his strength to the general idea that God is the strength of all who are in similar circumstances or of all the people who trust God and trust Him alone. His anointed can refer also to the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus was anointed in the water of Jordan to be our King, our Prophet and our 
uh, high priest. So David here as a symbol of Christ, our only anointed one, the Messiah, the anointed, Al-Masih, Christ, Chrismated, all these are synonymous. And through his anointed, Jesus Christ, all the blessings came to us. He saved us and will become partakers of his salvation. So, all those who are anointed are secure in the Messiah. In the Old Testament, the anointed, the kings, the prophets, and the priests. So all the anointed are secured in the Messiah. Therefore, they become strong, protected, and safe only in Christ. Last verse, save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. This psalm started with a plea for personal help and rescue. But the end of the psalm, David's concern is for the Lord's people as a whole. Not personal, but now he is intercessor for all the people, people of God, the family of God. David concluded this psalm with a series of short prayers, asking God to bring his people what they need and long for. So he said, save your people, bless your inheritance, shepherd them also, bear them up forever. Four short prayers. They cannot enjoy fellowship with God unless God grants them victory over sin and Satan. That's why David asked that God may bless his inheritance, we who are the inheritance of God, with all spiritual blessing, with grace here on earth and glory in eternal life. He told, save them from Satan and sin. Shepherd them, as he composed in the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. As the shepherd does his flock, by leading them into green pasture, by giving them the bread of life, the Eucharist, by nourishing them with the word and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he asked to save them, to bless the inheritance, to shepherd them, and to bear them up forever. What does it mean, bear them up forever? Maintain your true church. Let not the enemy prevail against the church. Rip them out of of their danger and give them victory in the day of resurrection. St. Augustine says, rule them in their temporal life here on earth and rid them from hence into life eternal. This concludes Psalm 28. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.